0: I've been better, but by God's grace, I will get through this. Let me pray. Almighty, eternal God, truly our hearts bow before thy majesty and thy holiness. It's our prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ will be lifted up and exalted And that our hearts will be more bowed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if it would please thee to use this message to that end. To God be the glory. Amen. If we want to learn something about imitating our blessed Lord, we have to understand what he's like, who he's like. And we find out that he's meek and lowly. That may not rub too well with some of you, but that is the way we're going to learn to be imitate him. And if we're going to be committed to him, we have to understand what he says, what commitment is. And we find that in First Peter chapter 2, 23, it says that when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered... He threatened not, but he committed. He committed himself to him, who judges righteously. And then in verse 20, it says, Therefore, Christ, having suffered for us, he, he has left us an example that we should follow his steps, and the only way that can happen, if he indeed is Lord of our life. And for our text this morning, it's in... Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself a new reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. It was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things on earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Church of Philippi was very precious to the Apostle Paul. For it was the first candlestick he planted in that dark continent of Europe. You remember, he suffered quite a bit there, but we get an idea how precious the church was to him when he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So it was special to him. But this morning, we want to focus on that last phrase. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that he, Jesus Christ, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we want to focus on. You probably remember doubting Thomas who would not believe Christ had conquered death until he had seen the print of nails in the Lord's hands and the print of the spear in the Lord's side. And when the Lord Jesus confronted him on a future visitation after his resurrection, he told Thomas to take his fingers and feel the nail print in his hands and take his hand and thrust it into the Lord's side. And when he did, he fell down before Christ and cried out, my Lord, my God. The same title that is in our text, the Greek word "curious," meaning that Christ is the same authority as the Father. But what did Thomas mean? In John 14, 5, after Jesus had said he had gone to prepare a place for them, his apostles, and that they knew the way to that place, Thomas cried out, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? There Thomas calls Christ Lord. Here he calls him my Lord. What did he mean? He meant that you are worthy of my worship. I acknowledge you as my master, and you are worthy of my absolute obedience. How about you this morning? Do you own Christ as Lord, the absolute sovereign of your life? the Lord over your life? How would you answer that? First, I'd like to talk a little about about the need for divine lordship. After the fall of Adam and Eve, they acquired what they never had before, and that was a sin nature, which has permeated the whole human race, which has descended down from them. And what is that sin nature? It's an unwillingness. To submit to the authority, especially the authority of God, God's word, expressed so well in Genesis 4one and 7 with the example of Cain. He would not submit himself to the authority of God because God said, you come to me my way, not your way, and Cain would have none of it. He thought he could satisfy God or appease God by the works of his hands coming from the ground was cursed. the book of Judges, yea, the whole history of Israel, yea, even some of the churches were not under the authority of God's word, but were governed by their own sin nature and certainly were not under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some churches such as Thyatira, Sardis, Laodicea, Corinth, to name a few. You may wonder why the emphasis on Christ's lordship is recorded in the Apostle Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. His favorite. Listen to these words in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Chapter 3, verse 2, beware of the concision of evil workers that taught that outward circumcision of the flesh was necessary for salvation. But listen to these words in chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. Be ye followers of me, and mark them who walk, even as you have us, for example. For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. So you can see why there's a necessary for him to emphasize the lordship. And then chapter 4, verse 2. We read <clears throat> that Paul writing uh, 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 had two women in mind. I beseech Eudius and I beseech Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. So you understand, some were not under the lordship of Christ, and that's why this passage, that's why this emphasis is on the lordship of Christ. Let us look at the churches in our day. In May of this year, Barma, Barna and I got this from Brother Richard which is known for its surveys, especially that which reta- pertains to Christendom, found the following in its surveys. Only 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview, and only 12% of youth pastors have a biblical worldview. Yet 176 million Americans profess to be Christians. Those born between 1946 and 1964 are called the Baby Boomer generation. Only 10 percent of them interviewed have a biblical gener- have a biblical worldview. And those interviewed in what makes up the millennial generation, 1980 to 1998, only six percent have a biblical worldview. And then those interviewed between 1999 and 2015 have declined to only four percent of those interviewed who have a biblical worldview. So you can see how far few are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There are those who believe that the advance in technology and economic growth that began in the 20th century and continues to this century has helped in leading to the demise of Christianity in America. And as Christianity is rapidly decreasing in the West atheism, agnosticism, are gaining momentum. Why? Earl Hulse, who penned a book of postmodernism, wrote that God and his revelation in the Bible has been passed by, and consequently, as we have seen, there has been a collapse of morality. Right and wrong is a matter of human opinion. My view is as good as yours, no moral absolutes. Hulse goes on to say the result is the slide of Western society into the abyss of lawlessness, which has invaded the church big time. And therefore, a strong resistance to be under the Lordship of Christ. Jeff Pollard of Chapel Library wrote in one of Chapel Library's newsletters the following, The number of celebrity preachers, adulterous preachers, and church officers, porn-addicted leaders, pedophile leaders, and numbers rises daily. Few pastors are driven by love for Christ as the scriptures proclaim him. Few have a hunger for holiness for themselves or for Christ's people and no longer an agony for lost souls that will surely lie down in the flames of hell without Christ. Church members manifest a greater love for the world, their bellies, their comforts, their Disney worship, their Hollywood, sports, and music idols. All of these greater to be desired than for the crucified and resurrected Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our nation, our churches appear to have lost all conscience of sin. And only 47% of Americans still believe in God. There is little or no hunger for God's Word or for the knowledge of basic Bible doctrine, which means that most of the 176 million professing Christians do not want to be under the authority of God's Word and under the Lordship of Jesus, Lord over all. And as Arthur Pink has said, who lived during the last century, if the Lord Jesus Christ is not your Lord, He certainly is not your Savior. This means that most of the 176 million professing Christians have embraced the gospel that is more palatable to the flesh, the gospel that leads many through the wide gate through which they travel the broad way that leads to destruction. But the Lord Jesus, who is the door, John 10:9) said, enter through the straight gate where he is. Yea, the way is narrow and hard, but at least the life. And there be few that travel that way. This narrow way has not been taught in even churches that teach Bible doctrine. Verses like Matthew 10, 37, 38. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that will not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Luke 9, 23 says, he that will not deny himself and take up his cross to follow me cannot be my disciple. And then in Luke 9, 57 to 62, we hear these words. There's three that came running up to Jesus. I said, oh, I want to follow you. Oh, yeah? Then he gave him him uh, uh, what, what would be like. And they would say, I first got to do this. I first got to do that. I first got to do that. And Jesus said, he that put his hand on the plow and look back is not fit for the kingdom of God. He meant he that comes to want to follow me and wants to look back to the world is not worthy of me. Dr. Hensworth Jonas, who penned the booklet, The Spirit and the Christ said, there are three primary sources of counsel in our history. One, rules of society. Two, rights of self. And three, rejection of standards has been the source of our misery, which truly has affected many in the church, proven by Earl Hulse in his booklet, post Second, divine lordship provided. Man was to be God's viceroy here on earth, and when sin entered, so did lawlessness, which is the fruit of the sin nature. So eventually governments were formed, headed by kings and magistrates to keep a semblance of order. Likewise, the Lord, the head of the church, he established a form of government headed by elders to keep order in the church. But from the very beginning, God had a plan that one day, a man, the God-man, would rule over all. And Pastor Bob, in his message on 10-222, children really exalted that. I was so blessed by that message. So we see... The first indication of who this man would be. In Genesis 3.15, where it was decreed that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. No ordinary man could attain such a victory. It had to be one superior to Satan. And we know that one would be the God-man who would one day rule over all creation that God had intended from the very beginning. We We see him referred to in and Psalm 45, 6, and said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is an everlasting uh, uh, kingdom. It's an everlasting scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with oil above thy fellows. The oil of gladness. He's referred to again in Psalm 72, 11, 17. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him and all nations shall serve him. His name shall endure forever. And, I, and and his name shall continue as long as the sun. And then he says, and man shall be blessed in him, and all nations shall call him blessed. Then Isaiah nine six and seven for unto us a child was born, unto us a son was given, and his name shall be and the government shall be upon his shoulders. his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the government shall be upon. <coughs> Uh, of the increase of in his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, will perform this, Isaiah 32, 1. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness and, pray, and princes shall rule in judgment. In the New Testament, Jesus was tried before the Sanhedrin. They said, are you the Christ? He said, If I tell you you will not believe, and then he goes on to ask some more questions. He says, They said, The time will come when you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of power, at the right hand of God Almighty. And Matthew twenty eight, eighteen says, All authority and all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Acts 23 to 33 36, of sermon of the day of Pentecost, in verse 36, preached these words, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know that this one whom you crucified is God that made Lord and Christ. So much did that have an effect upon those that heard that, that 3,000 were, uh, uh, were convicted of what they had done, and they'd come to faith. Acts five thirty one Peter again preaching Jesus hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior, but to give repentance to Israel and forgivenesses and a prince to rule and a savior to save repentant sinners. Romans 8, eight nine For whether we live, whether we live unto the Lord or whether we die unto the Lord, we are the Lord's. To this end Christ both died and rose and revived that He might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. He's one. 1923, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward according to the working of his mighty power when he raised up Christ from the dead and sent him at his own right hand, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this world, but the world is to come. And he put all things under his feet and made him to be head of all things to the church, the fullness of him, the fill all in all. These scriptures reveal. It was God's purpose in eternity past, his provision to make Christ Lord of all. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now we have seen the need for divine lordship and it was provided in Jesus Christ. Now the nature of divine lordship. In Proverbs six. 16, 18 to 19. There are listed seven things that the Lord hates. He hates a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that are swift to running to mischief, a, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. But the one that I want to refer to is a lying tongue. In Luke 6:46. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? They thought they could lie to him and say, you call him Lord, when the heart was far from him. He was addressing not only his disciples, but also the multitude, and to show, to show what he meant. At the end, uh, after he said, after he said, why do you call me Lord, and not do what I say? Then he repeated what is found in Matthew, 4, Matthew 7, 24 to 27 says, in other words, what he wanted to say to those who lied to him with their tongue is that they're under judgment. Because he says, he that heareth my words and doeth them is like a, house, like a man who built his house upon a rock. And the rain came down, the floods came up, the wind blew and the house stood firm because it was built upon the rock, the foundation of God's word. But he that heareth my words and doeth them not is like a man that builds his house upon the sand. Yes, the rain came down, the floods came up, and the wind blew, and great was the fall of that house because it was built upon the sand. He's talking about those who hear and don't do. Those who give lip service, but nothing from the heart. The Lord is a God of order. The church of Corinth was a church that allowed a disorder, vision, pride, laxity, and morals. Self was very prominent in their behavior. So at the end of chapter 14, verse 40, we read these words, let all things be done decently and in order. And what that word means there is, it means official dignity that fits the character of his name. When he said, do all things decently in order, is that which reflects upon him. And then uh, then in, uh, Titus, uh, uh, t- uh, Paul had commissioned uh, uh, Titus to set things in order because the churches are out of uh, disorder in, in uh, the island of Crete. So he said uh, he told Titus set things in order that were lacking in order. What he means is to correct and ordain elders. <laughs> and by the way, if we want to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ. It'll be our attitude that we have toward worship, the time we get here, and our attitude about worship. God does not take lightly when he is shown irreverence in the place where he is ready to meet with his people. In Matthew sixteen, eighteen The Lord is declaring war against the kingdom of darkness of which Satan is prince. When he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, what he is doing, he was declaring war on Satan. He said, I will glean from this mass of humanity a people for myself who were once your prisoners. And although Christianity is dying in the West, including our country, it's amazing the souls that are coming to the Lord in many countries who never heard the gospel before. Listen to these words from Titus 2:13:14: "The grace of God that bring the salvation that appeared to all men, teaching us to deny uh, ungodliness and worldliness, but that we should be uh, live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, who came to redeem us from all iniquity for what purpose? to purify unto himself a people of his own possession. And whenever you see someone coming to Christ, you see that precious soul being snatched out of Satan's power. And many are being snatched out of Satan's power in the, in the Middle East where there's terrible persecution. But there they have a love for Jesus Christ and they give their lives bold, gladly uh, uh, to, to, to set forth the word of uh, life. <coughs> the nature of his lordship is seen the way he disciplines those that are his. Proverbs 3.12 says, Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. As a father, the son in whom he delighteth. And then... uh, uh, Hebrews 12, 6 is more, a little more plain. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That is the evidence we belong to him. If there are those who never receive chastisement, a name is given to them in Hebrew twelve eight. They bear the name of bastards. Illegitimacy, not in the family line. So don't grieve when the Lord chastens you. I'm so thankful the Lord has chastened this old sinner, saying, by grace, many times I would not be what I am today if he had not chastened me. And even I see in some ways what I'm going through now. now No, there's some chastening in it. And I thank him for every time I feel that. It's proof that he loves me. The nature of his lordship is seen so beautiful in the 23rd psalm where he's pictured as the great shepherd <clears throat> ministering to his people which he calls sheep that are under his divine care. And as that psalm makes so very plain, his sheep are very secure even when they go through the valley of the shadow of death. That security made so plain in John ten twenty-seven: my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. Not only are his people secure, but he looks upon his own as friends, like it says in Proverbs eighteen twenty four. He that hath friends must show himself friendly, but there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and referring to the Lord. In John fifteen fifteen, he said, I once called you servants, but now I call you friends. And because I call you friends, I can show you everything that the Father has given to me. Earlier this week, over Family Radio, a pastor at seven thirty uh, at the time seven thirty p.m. spoke on the psalm as an encouragement to God's people. But before he began his message, he shared a memory of Warren Wiersbe. Wiersbe was either a guest on a, a radio program or a gathering of God's people, and he was asked this question: "What would you do differently in your ministry if you had to do it over again?" It's surprising what he said. He said, I would do more to encourage God's people, and that is what the great shepherd is one of the works he's doing in his ministry now, encouraging God's people. You can't read the 23rd Psalm without getting deep. Believe you me, I quoted that many times during this time. Sometimes I'm really at low ebb, but I I quote that, and what time I'm afraid, I'll trust in the Lord. And thou will keep him in perfect peace who stayed upon thee. Excuse me. There's more I could say, but for time's sake, I'm going to hasten on, but I want to give you one more. Jeremiah 9. Twenty three, twenty four. let not the rich man glory in his riches let not the mighty man glory in his might let not the wise man glory in his wisdom but let him that glorieth glory in this that he understandeth and knoweth who i am that i am the lord who exercises loving kindness judgment and righteousness in the earth and these things i delight saith the lord Living under Christ's Lordship. When the Lord saved me, there was a desire to share the gospel with anyone who would listen. Giving out gospel tracts was and always will be a delight for me. I was overjoyed if I got someone to pray the sinner's prayer, for that is what our church taught and was accepted. Norman evangelical search, a circle such as Gideon's, of which I became a member, and then the Bible college I attended in Lancaster. Arthur Pink commending an evangelism as they said that when one prays the sinner's prayer and accepts Christ, heaven is assured and are delivered from the wrath to come. That's what they're taught. In other words, he's mocking what the, uh, the norm is. Evangelism today embraces the feel-good gospel, the seeker-friendly gospel, the prosperity gospel, the works gospel, and probably more, but these are enough to show how the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has been so distorted. Those four spurious Gospels just mentioned would indicate that many sinners who embraced these Gospels have entered through the wide gate that leads entrance to the broad way, which is the way that leads to destruction, eternal destruction, the path trodden by so very many. So many trust their eternal future on something they have done, accepting Christ without commitment to him. For when Christ is accepted in that spirit, Christ is accepted only as a fire escape. Some might say, how can you talk like that? If there's 176 million Americans who profess to be Christians, in my 92 years I've had the opportunity to observe the lives of many who claim to be Christians, and they certainly are not under the lordship of Christ, for that is the evidence of a true Christian. Let us go back to the pronouncement the angel made to shepherds who were tending their flocks on a Jordan hillside 2,000 years ago. Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Made it very plain right from the very beginning. So when people accept Christ, Jesus, Savior, they admit part of his name, which is most important. A Savior who is Christ Jesus. I'm sorry. could not be emphasized more than what is so clear in our text this morning. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So therefore, Christ must first be accepted as Lord, Lord over the former rebellious life, and then Savior of his eternal soul. For this reason, sin is lawlessness against God, is rebellion and spiritual anarchy, a defiance of the Lordship of God. Repentance is when we own Christ's Lord, over our lives and Savior to save our eternal souls from damnation. Hebrews 5, 9 says, He is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. He is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Many evangelists use John 1, 12 in getting people to accept Christ as Savior. As many as received Him. But his lordship must be included, not just receive him as savior, receiving him at first as Lord. You see, to call upon him as Lord means to turn about face. One's back had been toward God, but now when there is true repentance, there is acknowledgement of the Lord's right to govern one's life. For unless one bows to Jesus as Lord, he will not be saved. Why should he not bow to Christ as the Lord, which is made so plain in the text? His threefold right to ownership, regeneration, and redemption. Leroy Shelton, founder of Chapel Library, spake of coming to Christ as falling, turning from sin to holiness and from self to God, from Satan to Christ. It is a surrender to Christ. Surrender is a key word, which the Lord made very plain in Luke 14, 30 to 33, when he said... An army of 10,000 facing an army of 20,000 has to determine, can I prevail? And when he says, no, I can't prevail, he sends an ambassador for peace. And what is that ambassador for peace? It means total surrender. And to prove that, Jesus said, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Listen to what Billy Graham uh, uh, said uh, in his message obeying God whatever the cost. By faith, receive Christ. The word faith means commitment. That means total surrender for the rest of your life to Jesus Christ, not only as Savior, but as Lord. You surrender your personal life, your body, your mind, everything to Him. Billy Graham said that. Living that testified Christ as Lord. There are those... There are those who confess Christ as Lord, but their lives do not show it. Pink, uh, commenting on this, who lived out his life in the last century, said, Concerning what I just said, made this comment. There are more devoted to the present and so many attractions to the life that now is than to that which is eternal, and to our divine appointment, which we must all keep. He also said that worldliness had devitalized most churches, and that practical godliness is at low ebb. If he were alive today, what would he say about most churches? When a light testifies that Christ is Lord, there's the evidence of spiritual life. A hatred for what was once loved. No longer a captive to that which pleases the flesh. Although that captivity may exist in some form for a well, while. After conversion, the Lord knows how to get rid of it like he got rid of it from me. When I had sports, I didn't want to give up. He said, Paul in 1980, pumping no audible voice, but pumping." He said, you either give up sports or you have no ministry. And I haven't been able to see a, a, a sporting event since. There's been a list of commentary by writers of the person of the Apostle Paul. What made Paul such a great apostle right in the very beginning? When he found out out that who he was persecuting was the Lord himself, he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And that prevailed all through his ministry. He was always, Lord, what will you have me to do? The world was under his feet. God forbid that I should glory save the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And the Virgin Mary, listen to how, uh, to prove what I'm saying, Virgin Mary, in her magnificent, my soul doth magnify the Lord first. My spirit hath rejoiced now, second, God my Savior. Apostle Paul, again, writing to the church of Colossae told them of their exalted position, but there is no uncertain terms. He told them where their heart's affection was to be. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. And then uh, uh, Paul, writing to the church of Colossae, which Pastor Bob is preaching on, he said, "If you then be with risen with the Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Set your affection on the things above, not on things of the earth." for your dead to them, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Then when Christ, who is your Lord, shall appear, you shall appear with him in glory. And he said this, five things. Put to death, sexual immorality. Put to death, impurity. Put to death, evil passion. Put to death, idolatry, which is another form. Of, 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 put to death, covenant, which is another form of, of idolatry. The Lord Jesus in his humanity gave us an example so perfect to what we should be like. He was everywhere in his humanity. He was in perfect subjection to the authority of the Father. And he gave us an example. That's where we we'd be in subjection to him. Now, I know I'm running late, Pastor Bob, but, uh, but uh, I want to know the application. I skipped a lot, but Okay. It's absolute. by the way, to prove my point about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if thou wilt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in thine heart of God, raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, you have to call upon him who he is. It is absolute folly to think Christ will receive into his kingdom anyone who will not own him as Lord. If we own him as Lord, should that not give us victory over the self-life and all that besetting sins referred to in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2? Should we not apply to our lives the exhortation the apostle Paul gave to the church at Rome in Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind and the trans- And by proving the, the will of God. For when this becomes real in our lives, then we'll be able to fulfill life's purpose under the Lordship of Christ. By the way, I was reading this morning in Psalm 2. Listen to this. It says, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way. Here's what I've written under that. When his wrath is kindled but a little, this is what I've written under it. Be attached to the son and under his rule. Now, a few words in application. I already said that. When we're under the Lordship of Christ, there's five things. One, Matthew 4.10 Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God only, and him shalt thou serve. That's top priority. Two, Matthew 6, 33, life's goal. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things you worry about shall be added unto you. I, every day I find great joy counting a little bit for the kingdom of God. What a joy that is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Thirdly, Matthew 7, 28, life's purpose. And this, I have to, I have to share this, Pastor Bob. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but he that doeth the will of the Father. That's our number, that's our purpose, to do the will of the Father. Many shall say in that day, Lord, Lord, we've done this, we've done that, we've done the other thing, and the Lord will say that, I never knew you, depart from me, you who work lawlessness, you would never come under my authority, and you will not be any of mine in eternity. Acts twenty twenty four to fulfill what he committed. Um... Uh, none of these things move me but what I do is to fulfill the ministry that God has given me to testify of the gospel of the grace of God I've kept the faith I've fought the good fight and there's another that just slips my mind but that's that's what it's all about uh, uh, our fulfillment and then uh, our attitude about life whatsoever you do do all to the glory of God that takes discipline. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And sometimes when I find myself making a pick of myself, I say, is that eating to the glory of God? No. We're to eat and drink and whatever we do, to the glory of God our Father. Now, how many of you remember that, uh, uh, the, that heavenly calling? How many of you remember that heavenly calling I gave to you? I want to, read, I want to read this to you. It's called Heavenly Calling, Remember the Lord, and this is the last bit The Lord is the great author of your being. He is the only prayer object of your faith, fear, and worship. Remember the promises he made, the deliverance he has wrought, the blessings he has conquered, and the invitations he has given. Remember him in calamity to trust him, in prosperity to praise him, in danger to call upon him, in difficulty to expect his help. Remember to obey his commands, to keep his company, to attend to his exhortations, to seek his blessings, and to aim at his glory in all you do. Remember him, for it is your duty, it is your privilege. Remember him in order to strengthen your faith as an antidote to your fears, as a source of encouragement to your soul, and as a preventative to prevent sin. Remember, he is holy, just, and good. He will be glorified in all them that draw nigh to him. Remember the Lord. He is your life, your strength, your food, your portion, your God, your all. Remember him, for he never forgets to you to cleave to him. And I'm going to add one. Listen to these words. This cup is the new Testament, my blood. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he comes. And in that passage, seven times, it's referred to as Lord, Lord, Lord. And when we come to the communion table, do we own him as Lord? If we don't own His Lord, as Arthur Pink said, then we're not his. We just read in the text that every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I want you to listen to this carefully. We will either bow before him and confess with our mouth that he's Lord in grace or in judgment, one or the other. But I'd like to lead you with this wonderful passage in in John 15, 10, 11. He said, if you are my disciples, then keep my word, and you shall abide in my love as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And I've learned this, dear ones, that the more the Lord is Lord of my life, the more joy I have. And that will be true for each sinner saved by grace. Let him be Lord of your life. Why call him Lord if you won't bow the knee? To what he says. Judgment Day is going to be terrible for many professing Christians who gave him lip service, but not heart service. Almighty God, our Father, may your word not return void. May you work in each one of our hearts that to make sure that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives. For we pray in his wonderful name of thanksgiving. Amen.